All right. Um, if you do not have one of these half sheets, Oh, I guess what you're saying. And you also need the handout as well. Anybody else? Okay. Why don't you take your Bibles and open them up to First Timothy 3. This morning, um, we're going to continue on with Discipline 4 on the qualifications. Last time, two weeks ago, together we ran as fast as we could through the elder qualifications, and we didn't get all the way through. We got through all of 1 Timothy 3, but we didn't get through all of Titus 1. Um, what we're going to do today is go through, um, Scott's going to lead us through 1 Timothy 3, verses 8 to 13. Um, and so what I want to do is I want to just remind you again of the first three disciplines before Discipline 4. First one, again, is the heart, right? And what we mean by that is really that the inner man must meet with God in his word in a worshipful, prayerful manner, right? A humble manner. That, that when your Bible's open, uh, you actually have to discipline yourself to meet with God. Uh, just because you're a Christian and just because your Bible's open doesn't necessarily mean that anything good is happening yet. Okay? Uh, in heaven, yeah. Here, not so much. You have to discipline yourself to meet with God in His Word. His Word is His own revelation of Himself. Outside of Jesus, the Word become flesh. It is the best that we can have of God um, in this life. And so we open the book eager to know the God of the Word, right? And so that right there is just going to make you into a, a different kind of man, uh, a man of character, a man concerned with the things of God, a man concerned with righteousness, a man who loves the things that, that God loves and hates the things that God hates. Um, discipline two then is that kind of man taking his life and the word of God into his home and impacting his household relationships. Uh, that kind of man is concerned that um, others in the house uh, have a, the, the same drive and the same opportunity to come before the God of the Word and meet with Him. Uh, it's a gospel-centered home. It's a Word of God-centered home. Um, and it's to be the first place of, of ministry for the man who loves God. Uh, then, discipline three, that man is eager to step into the lives of others. And I'll tell you, you know, in a, as an elder in a church, the kind of man that uh, we're eager to have meet with others in the church and care for them as a man who's taking good care of his own heart and who's ministering to his family and his household well. That kind of guy, man, turn him loose in the body, turn him loose outside of the body with the gospel. Um, that's a life of character. That's a life of integrity. Um, and that kind of man is eager to care for others well with the word of God. And what I want you to see this morning as we read just verses 8 to 13, and then Scott's going to really walk through each one, is I want you just to see how disciplines 1, 2, and 3 influence and shape and determine these character qualifications. Okay? Let's look at verses 8 to 13. Deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity, 
dignity. Not double-tongued. Or addicted to much wine. Or fond of sordid gain. But holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men also first uh, must also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, <coughs> faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and their own households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So there's your set of deacon qualifications. Um, Scott's going to walk through each of those a little bit more uh, thoroughly than what we did in just reading them there. Um, Just a reminder, oh, and uh, if you'll take a look at the little half sheet now, what we did is... um, Years ago, we um, took the, each of the deacon qualifications and we turned it basically into um, a little half sheet that's like a sample prayer that you could pray so that you'd be praying through the deacon qualifications. I don't know if you've ever done that before, if it's ever crossed your mind. But just to, to go to God in prayer and say, God, I'm going to take dignity. I, I need to be a man of dignity. What could I pray to God concerning what it means to be a man of dignity. So we uh, kind of have a little introduction that runs up to that. And then we have the, a paragraph of description of the man of dignity, but it's put in kind of prayer form. And again, so, look, don't be enslaved to these words. These are sample words. Make up your own words. But um, the, the point is, is if, if you took each one of the deacon qualifications and you actually prayed to God about them, what might God do with your life? Uh, it'd be a good thing to do that with the elder qualifications as well. So this is just, you know, each one of them is broken down for a day of the week. On Monday, man of dignity. Tuesday, being, uh, not being double-tongued. Wednesday, not be addicted to wine. Thursday, not be fond of sordid gain. Uh, Friday, hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Saturday, husband of one wife. And Sunday, a good manager of my children and household. So each one of them breaks down into a day of the week. And we just want to encourage you that that would be something that you would consider doing, just praying through the deacon qualifications, all right? Um, After today, we only have two left in May. So... um, What we're going to be doing the last two meetings is covering hermeneutics. Uh, That's discipline five. Uh, We put that intentionally at the very end of the year. You might think that putting hermeneutics uh, in a course like this might be wise to put at the front so that you're interpreting the Bible correctly from the beginning. Um, Actually, um, what we want to do is make sure that you're a man of character first and most and then arm you with hermeneutics along the way. Uh, it's six half dozen the other. And, and, and look, you, you guys are, are sharp guys. Um, I think you're uh, not perfect in your hermeneutic. Nobody here in this room is perfect in their hermeneutic and how they interpret other people's words. But um, it's not rocket science either. Um, you know how you like your words interpreted to be taken by others. You're an author with words. You have a meaning and you want it clear and you want it to be understood. And and you know how to apply that same principle and giving God the same courtesy in his words. 
but we put it at the end of the year because we want to labor all year to help you become a man of character so that you're the right kind of man interpreting God's word. Um, so we'll, I'm looking forward to that. That's some of my favorite stuff to cover together. So with that uh, being said, we are ready to break off into our discussion groups. Outside of God's word, this is going to be the second most important tool today. I've had problems with my voice for the last couple of months um, in the middle of sentences and in the middle of conversations. It'll just die on me. So um, just ask you to bear with me on this. Also, I noticed there's no clock in here. Have you noticed that? You look around, can't find a clock. So periodically, I'm going to be looking down at my phone. Um, that's the only reason I'm looking at that. You should. I should look like this and we'll be in good shape. Um, so we want to be done in an hour. And um, things are a little, a little unstable up here just because of the podium. So we're going to see how this goes. The other thing is um, I'm used to leaning on a pulpit when I talk. It's not going to work, you know, so... So this is going to be a new experience for me, um, which means we need to pray. So let's do that, and then we'll spend time together, shall we? Lord, thank you for our time together. Thank you for these men. Lord, I praise you for them, that uh, they are here. I praise you for what has already taken place in our discussion groups as we've spent time together. Lord, thank you for the encouragement that... You bring to one another from one another, Lord, as we talked about different aspects of the elder qualifications and where it's challenging and where it's encouraging. I pray for each one of these men that they truly would be encouraged by that. Lord, I pray that you would enable each one of us to in some way keep these things in front of us, Lord, that we would pray over these things, we would examine our lives in light of these things. So I thank you that you brought us here today. Lord, um, this is your word, and your word speaks into our lives. And I pray that this morning you would allow your word to speak into our lives. Lord, that you would inform us as to the qualifications for serving as a deacon, why they are there, what they really mean, and, and what that means for us. So, Lord, I pray for each man here. Each one of us, Lord, is in a different place, a different season. We have our own unique circumstances. And I pray that this would be helpful. I pray that it would be meaningful. And I pray that it would uh, serve this dear group of men well. And I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. First step is to get the technology moving. Oh, it already is. This whole thing has been recorded. My comments about the clock and everything else are going to be on the internet in about two hours. (laughs) Um, Okay. If you have your Bible... Open your Bible to 1 Timothy 3. Have your device, tap on your device to 1 Timothy 3. Um, I'm using a second stand because I tried it earlier and we did one of these. Um, God's Word is good. It's really, really good. Uh, let's make sure we try to use it well today. Today in our church culture, uh, we have a variety of of different understandings of what church leadership structure looks like. You have pastor-led churches, you have elder-led churches, 
You have senior pastors, you have associate pastors, you have ruling elders, you have teaching elders, you have deacons that are men, you have in some churches deacons that are women, you have young deacons, you have old deacons, you have a lot of all of this. And in many cases, our church culture has distorted um, what scripture says about what the role is and what the qualifications are for serving as a deacon. Okay. And that has not always served the church well. It's not served the church well at all in many cases. Um, because a properly qualified and a properly tasked deacon is essential to the function of the church. And the function of the church is to advance the gospel mission. So today what we want to look at is what scripture says about the qualifications for a deacon and how it is that we need to live those out. So what we're going to do is we're going to start actually in Philippians chapter 1. So put your marker somehow on 1 Timothy chapter 3 and turn over to Philippians chapter 1. What we want to see here is that the entire church is working towards one mission. And so to fill in your first blank here, the entire church is advancing the gospel mission of Jesus Christ. We're going to see that in the opening verses of Philippians chapter 1. Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, and he writes, To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and the deacons. There are three distinct entities that are being described there. There are saints, there are overseers, and there are deacons. He says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel. The your there is referring to the three groups of people, the saints that are there at the church in Philippi, the overseers or the elders, and the deacons. So Paul sees these three groups of people very clearly in the church there in Philippi. He sees the saints, and he sees the overseers, and he sees the deacons, and all of them are actively functioning in advancing the gospel. The elders are leading the church. They're teaching the word and they're praying for the congregation. The deacons are actively involved in the church. They're serving. The saints are in the church and they are practicing the one another's of scripture. And the church is growing. The church is prospering. And it's because all of them have a specific role and they're functioning within that role. So the deacon role is a very important role. And it's a servant leadership that is appointed by the elders. And it's appointed by the elders for a very specific purpose, and that is so that the church is more efficient with its pursuit of the gospel mission. Okay? The, deacons, um, the deacon role is not a role where it's just performing a task. We want to make sure that what we keep in front of us here is that the main idea, the main thing, is advancing the gospel mission of the church. And deacons perform a very significant role in that as they serve in very different capacities in the church. So let's go back to 1 Timothy 3. We're going to read the passage, and then we're going to talk about the passage. Okay, Paul is writing to Timothy. Timothy is his son in Christ. He is Timothy's mentor, and he is teaching Timothy how you conduct church, 
He's got two letters to Timothy, and these letters are very, very important. Last time we were together, we covered Paul's teaching to Timothy about what an elder is and the qualifications that you look for in the elder. Right after that, he talks to Timothy about the qualifications for deacon service. He says, deacons likewise, starting in verse 8, must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife, and good managers of their children and of their own households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. That's our passage this morning. Looking at our second point here, deacons, the importance of tested and approved character. Tested and approved character. Notice here that the list of qualifications for the deacons is long. It's very long. This letter is being written to Timothy, and it's being written probably 20 or so years after the original prototype deacons were assigned in Acts chapter 6. In Acts chapter 6, the description that was applied to the deacons is much shorter. Let's do this. Let's turn back to Acts chapter 6. And we'll take a look at that description. Turn to Acts chapter 6, verse 3. Luke is recording for us how it is that the deacons were selected. Remember the context? There was a group of Greek women, Hellenistic women, that were being overlooked in the serving of food. So a racially charged situation was arising and they had to meet the need. They had to respond. The elders themselves or the apostles themselves did not respond themselves personally. What they did was they... They assigned a group of men to to be tasked with addressing the issue. Acts chapter 6, verse 3. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who may put in charge of this task. Very short description in the middle of that verse. Seven men. Good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom. That's pretty short. That's a lot shorter than what we have in 1 Timothy 3. So the question here is, is Paul really changing the description of what it means to be a deacon? Is he reinventing the description? Is he upgrading the description? Let's take a look at that. In some ways, he's doing so. And in some ways, it's the very same thing. Let's take first look at why it's it's the same kind of characteristic. The kind of man being described in Acts chapter 6 is the same kind of man as the man who's being described in 1 Timothy 3. The man in Acts chapter 6 who has good reputation and full of the spirit is the same kind of man that you see being described in in 1 Timothy 3. A man who's dignified, he's not double-tongued, he's not fond of sordid gain, he's not addicted to much wine. It's the same kind of man. But there's just more specificity, there's more specifics that are being given to this. So Paul has a much more specific much more refined definition of what it means to be a deacon, even though he's talking about the same kind of man. And he's also talking about the evaluation of the servants as well. 
but it's the same kind of man, and he's talking about the way in which he's being evaluated. So take a look at that in verse 10 of chapter 3, and we'll take a look at the way that the man is being evaluated. These men must also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. We see two things here. At the beginning of the verse, we see that they're to be tested, and at the end of the verse, we see that they can serve if they're beyond reproach. And so, to fill in some more blanks, we're talking about the tested and approved character sandwich. What we have at the beginning of the verse is being tested, and at the bottom of the verse, at the end of the verse, is if he's beyond reproach, and in the middle is his service. So let's talk about what it means to be tested a little bit here. Um, The word that's being used here was a word that talked about, that related to the way in which coins were tested and evaluated. Coins were exposed to a given temperature for a given period of time. And if a coin was genuine, if a coin was not counterfeit, it maintained its properties over a given temperature in a given period of time. That's what is talking about here in the life of these men. These men, as they're tested, they're being put in places, they're being put in situations within the church over a period of time. They're being tested because the testing is what reveals what kind of man they are. What this is not saying is that guys become qualified on the job. This is something that has to be observed and seen first in the life of the the deacon as he's functioning within the church. We try to do that here at Grace. We try to do that as we are involved in build here, as we're involved in H3, as we're involved in small groups. We're observing the way that men are leading one another, men are caring for one another, men are stepping into one another's lives. Um, We do that, we see that in different areas of service within the church as well, in Next Generation Ministries and other things as well. We want to have opportunities where where men get the the opportunity to demonstrate in in a season or a situation of testing that they are the kind of man that is um, ready to be considered for deacon service in our church. Let's look at the bottom half or the back half of that that character sandwich. That is if he's beyond reproach. So first he's tested and he's evaluated and he can serve if he's beyond reproach. This is the same kind of umbrella summary qualification that's being used that we saw last time in the evaluation of an elder. And it's that nobody can make a claim that there is a mar or a stain on your character as they look at you. There's no blame or discredit or disgrace that can be attached to you because of the way you conduct yourself in the whole of your life. So it's an overarching character that relates to you. But just as you look at that person's life in general, there's no mar on his character. And then there's lots of details that, that follow. And it's interesting because in the elder qualifications, that's the first thing that's listed, is that a man must be above reproach. And then it talks about how he must be the husband of one wife, and he must be temperate, and he must be prudent, and all those things. But you'll notice in this description, this is in the middle of the qualifications for the deacons. It's not right out in the front. And um, the idea here is that we want to show that it's, it's very difficult. We don't want to separate the man's quality of being above reproach from the specific character qualifications. We put it right in the middle to help us understand that it relates to the way in which he's a good manager of his family. 
and he's not addicted to much wine, and he's not fond of swearing. It's put in the middle, so you can see the relationship, and the essential bearing that this has on all the different character qualifications. So a well-qualified deacon is one who has demonstrated himself over a period of time to be above reproach. So let's take a look at what the individual character requirements are. And as I was looking at this, I realized that in every one of these character qualification areas, I've got a, a ton of growth to do in every one of these. Um, I look at these, and there's no means by which I've arrived at any of these. The standard is exceedingly high. But the encouraging thing is that for any man who is striving towards deacon qualifications, that he's moving towards those those standards. He's moving towards them well. So let's talk about what it means to be a man of dignity. Uh, to be a man of dignity is to have a serious bearing in life because of a serious mind and character. A serious bearing because of a serious mind and character. There's a misperception of what it means to be a man of dignity. You know, it's a man who's dressed well. He's a man who speaks with big words. He uses a lot of money in his lifestyle. He's a man who's stuffy. He's a man who's removed from other people a little bit. And that's not what's being talked about here. Um, Nothing at all to do with that. It doesn't have anything to do with your use of vocabulary or what you wear or what you do for a living or anything like that. Instead, it has to do with the kind of man himself. Does he have a serious manner about himself? Does he have a serious manner about himself because he has a serious mind and a serious character? This is something that's observable in a person. When you look at that person, you can see it. You can tell when you're talking with the person that this is a person who who takes his life seriously. He's sober in the way that he looks at his life. Everything is not a joke. Everything is not flippant and easy come and easy go. But at the same time, he's a winsome man. Um, He's not so stiff and so sober that he's not winsome and easy to talk to. He's pleasant to be around. He's appealing to to spend time with. Um, He's a man that you respect. You enjoy being around him. He's not a drag to be around. So let's ask some questions about this. Um, When you're in conversation with other people, what is the tone of your conversation? Is it always jovial? Is it always light? Is there always a ton of laughter? Can people tell that I think seriously about the circumstances that the Lord has placed me in by the way that I'm talking? When you're talking to somebody and you're in a situation, um, can people tell that you have a trust and a confidence in the Lord, that he is working in your life, that your bearing on your life is so sober and serious that you see the hand of the Lord in that? I was in a conversation yesterday where I was blessed. Someone told me about how they saw the Lord working in the circumstances of their life. Um, and I was blessed to hear that. There was an overwhelming, overarching story, but when you sift through all the outside noise and all the details and all the specifics, what you can see is you can see the hand of the Lord working and moving in that person's life. And that was really good. I was really encouraged by that. One other question that, that I would ask us so as we think about being a man of dignity is when you're with people, what kind of questions do you ask them? when they make statements, when they're talking about things, did you ask questions that get to the heart of the matter, that help the person examine their heart, 
Help them examine their words. We heard from Jacob a few months ago that we need to guard our heart with diligence because from our heart flows the springs of life. So we want to be asking questions and pointing people to their heart. Just ask yourself, do you do that some? Okay, that's a man of dignity. The next qualification is that he's not double-tongued. This is a man with no apparent discrepancies in his words. There's no apparent discrepancies in his words. The Greek word is dilogos, which literally means two words. It's a man with two messages, most likely to two different audiences. This is really easy to picture in your mind. Um, There's no discrepancies in what a man who's not double-tongued says. If he speaks to one audience and says one thing, he's going to have the same message when he speaks to a different audience. Everybody gets the same message, regardless of what audience he's speaking to, whatever subject he's speaking on, whatever other outside influences are in place. Everybody gets the same message from him. Maybe not necessarily the same exact words, but they hear the same heart, they hear the same direction from that man. And here's why this is really important. Think about this for a minute. You have a deacon. And the deacon sits between the elder leadership of the church and the saints in the church. And it's really important that when the deacon is, is informing himself as to what is happening in the church, whatever area of ministry he's over, and he interacts with people at that level, that when he goes to the elders and help the elders understand what is taking place in that particular part of our church, that he's a man of one message that the elders are well-informed, they're informed accurately as to what's happening in the church. Because the deacon is going to be closer to certain areas of the church because of the kind of his ministry than the elders are. The deacon who's over next generation ministry is going to be much more informed about what's happening there uh, than an elder is, for example. So when the deacon finds out things that are taking place there and he talks and he finds how things are going, he needs to report those to the elders with the same words, the same message. If he doesn't, you can see what would happen. You have an elder leadership that's poorly informed, which is going to lead to poor shepherding and poor decisions. Poorly functioning church, and it'll end up in in harm to our gospel testimony in this church. So it's essential that a deacon be a man who has one message. So he's a guy whose speech is characterized by integrity and consistency. That's the kind of deacon we want. So we can ask ourselves some questions about this as well. This is one that is a challenge for me. Does my account of a situation change as my audience changes? Do I describe it differently to my wife than I describe to the elders? Do I describe it differently to my kids? Do I have a different standard of accuracy with my friends than with my wife or with my roommates? or with my church leadership. And something that's challenging for me, it's an area where I need to grow, is do I remember who my primary audience is in every conversation? Am I reminding myself often that my primary audience is the God who created me? A deacon is also one who is not addicted to much wine. Try that 
but again, he's not addicted to much wine. The idea here, and we talked about this last time, is that he's a man who's, who's not always near alcohol. His thoughts are not concerned and consumed with purchasing, obtaining, and using alcohol. He doesn't find his comfort, he doesn't find his rest, he doesn't find his release in the use of alcohol. I just want to be really clear here. Because the, the speech here, because the language says not addicted to much wine, we understand that when you're talking about alcohol, you're talking about an area of freedom. This is not an area in which alcohol is expressly prohibited in Scripture. This is an area of freedom. There is a way to use alcohol that is God-honoring. When you use it with thanksgiving, you use it with joy, you use it with self-control, you use it with moderation. Um, there is a way to use alcohol that, that brings much glory to God. And we believe that at this church, and we want to make sure that that, um, that message is, is communicated here. This is talking about a man who consistently seeks to think about alcohol. When he's in whatever circumstance he is, he has the thoughts of alcohol always near him. So let's ask a couple of questions about this. One question we can ask ourselves is, when was the last time I evaluated my use of alcohol? If you use alcohol, do you evaluate your use of it? When do I use it? Why do I use it? Who do I use it with? Where am I when I use it? Have I prayed about that? Have I talked about that with my wife? Second question is, do my thoughts regularly gravitate towards the purchase and the use of alcohol? Do I find myself thinking, I'm going to stop on my way home, or whatever, often? Thirdly, do I know how to use alcohol in a God-honoring way? Have I informed myself from Scripture about the character qualities of someone who honors the Lord and then apply those to the use of alcohol? A deacon is also a man who's not fond of sordid gain. To be fond of sordid gain is to love the gain of wealth in such a way that causes my character to be questioned. Having fond thoughts of monetary gain from a questionable motive, even if it's dishonest, the fact that it's dishonest doesn't deter you. There's nothing wrong with monetary gain. We want to make sure we communicate that clearly. What's at issue here is the motive for that monetary gain. There's a warning here against the deacon role for the sake of financial gain, not using the opportunity of the role as a means of personal profit. Think about the Acts chapter 6 situation. Remember, you've got these Greek women, these Gentile women who are being overlooked in the serving of food. So there's been an office that's been assigned. These seven guys have been assigned to this role, and there's money involved. There's money involved to purchase food, to distribute this food to those that need the food. So you have a young, fledgling church that's just getting started, and they've got a need. And if you have a guy in charge of that ministry who is fond of sordid gain, and is skimming off the top from the resources that are being assigned to meet a, a significant need within the body. Think about what that does to the gospel reputation of that church that is just getting started, if that were ever to become exposed. Remember that the deacon is the one who serves with the aim of advancing the gospel mission. 
so there can be no place for a man who's using the resources that God has gathered together for the advancement of a gospel mission for his own profit and his own personal gain. So a couple of questions we can ask ourselves is, how much attention do I give to my spending habits, especially in the little things? Does my wife trust me with the use of the money that the Lord has entrusted to us? Do I find myself um, wanting to be secretive about the use of some money? Is the checkbook or the credit card statement an open book for my wife? Am I happy to show her what I'm spending money on? Those are good things to ask. It's good to ask those because you might find that a small desire to obscure or hide or marginalize or minimize a spending could lead to something larger. A lack of transparency with your wife and small spending things. The reason I started with small is because it only will grow. It will only grow to larger things, which will become more difficult to marginalize and to obscure and to hide. It will grow and you'll have to go to greater lengths to obscure that. As with anything else, you want to grab it early. You want to get it early and address it early. So just ask yourself those questions. A deacon is one who also holds the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. This is a man who has an ever-present grasp on what is believed, which causes the conscience to affirm, not condemn the man or his ministry. Causes the conscience to affirm, not condemn the man. This is a man who understands the gospel. He understands the gospel. He understands what God has done to save him. He understands God's plan for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. He understands that before the foundations of the earth, God chose a man to be holy and blameless before him. He understands what God did to draw that person to himself. He understands the substitutionary work of Jesus on the cross. He understands the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. The ability that he has to walk in a newness of life because of the resurrection of Jesus. He understands all of those things. But the interesting thing here, as you look at this particular requirement, is at the beginning of verse 9, you see the word but there. And that puts this particular characteristic in opposition to the three characteristic qualifications that came before that. You think about the last three things that we talked about. Talked about a man who is not double-tongued, he's not addicted to much wine, and he's not fond of sordid game. What you have here is a man who, because of his understanding of the gospel, has no interest in living that way. He's a man who, uh, because he understands that his true riches are in Christ. He has no interest in pursuing a dishonest gain, money that's obtained through some dishonest way. Because his rest is in Christ, because his salvation rest is in Christ and he rests in Christ, both positionally and personally, as he walks in repentance and faith and he walks in newness of life, as he walks in a growing sanctification He has no desire to find his rest in alcohol. 
And because he understands the gospel, because he understands that he has a new heart, and because it's out of the heart that the mouth speaks, he has no desire to have two messages, because he has a new heart. He has new affections in his heart. So in some ways, this character qualification reflects back on the previous three, that because of his understanding of the gospel, he has no desire to behave himself in the way that those three other qualifications describe. So a couple of questions we can ask ourselves. One is, am I able to clearly articulate the gospel? Can I articulate the gospel in a short paragraph if I wrote it down? Have all the essential points of God and his sovereignty, man and his responsibility, the person of Jesus Christ, the work of the Holy Spirit, sanctification, both positional and progressive and permanent. Do I understand the gospel well enough to articulate it concisely and clearly? The second question is, given that understanding of the gospel, how does that speak into my life? Um, Are there significant areas in which I'm lacking integrity in my life? When I speak the gospel message, am I compromising that gospel message by the way that I live? Okay, now we're going to jump down to verse 12. We're going to skip over the, the... verse that addresses women. We're going to get to that in just a minute. But a deacon is a deacon who is a husband of one wife. This is the same qualification you see in the elders. He must be a husband of one wife. This means he is a one-woman man. Okay? Let's first talk about what this is not saying. What this is not saying is that you have to be married to be a deacon. It's not saying that. And it's not saying that the only thing that a man needs to be a deacon is to be a married man. And furthermore, it's not saying that the only thing that he needs to be, if he is a married man, is pure indeed. What this is saying is something about the kind of man that he is. It says that his affections and his thoughts and his desires, when he thinks about romance, and when he thinks about satisfaction, he thinks about pleasure, when he thinks about companionship, all of those thoughts are only for his wife. When he thinks about that area of his life, there's one woman that comes to mind. That's his wife. This qualification does not prohibit single men from serving as deacons. There are many men who are well qualified to serve as deacons. They, they match up well with all the other qualifications. They're not married. They are well qualified. If he's single... His thoughts and his desires and his behaviors are for the woman that the Lord may bring to him in the future. As he considers all of those things, as he considers affection, as he considers companionship, as he thinks about pleasure and fulfillment and satisfaction, he doesn't think about it in any context other than the woman that the Lord might bring to him or that he would pursue for marriage. So let's think about some questions we can ask ourselves here. What is my first thought when I attain affectionate, when I entertain affectionate thoughts for someone other than my wife? Whether it's something that I see, it's someone's voice that I hear, it's their perfume that I smell when they stride by in the office. Do I allow myself to fall into that semi-appealing thought process? Do I allow my thoughts to wander a little bit? 
or do I take my thoughts captive? That's my initial response there. This can be really challenging as a deacon because a lot of times in your deacon role you'll find yourself serving women. Women who need your help. Maybe women who need financial help. Women who need physical help. Women who are weak in some way or other. And a man is the ideal person to meet that need. That can pull at your heart. And a a well-qualified deacon is a man who is not susceptible to that. He's trained himself, he's disciplined himself well to not become influenced by a woman's need. You guys know what I mean when I'm saying that? Another question is, do I understand God's design for intimacy? Do I understand it? That's a married man and a married woman bringing joy and pleasure to one another in an exclusive relationship. Not just when they're in bed, but when they're thinking about pleasure, when they're thinking about companionship, when they're thinking about friendship. Do they think about all of those things in God's design, according to God's design? If you're here and you're a younger guy, um, there may be some wisdom to just finding an older man that you trust, you respect, and ask him how he has walked down this road, if he's been married for a long time. Ask him what he has found useful and helpful and what he has found not to be helpful and learn from that. You want to be learning from other guys in this. You don't want to be learning the hard way yourself. So there's a lot of wisdom in going to a guy, especially if you know that there's an area of weakness in your life. And older guys, be be open and be ready to talk to a younger man. Say, I want to share with you what the Lord has shared with me, what the Lord has shown me. This is Ephesians 4.16 at work. The body causes the growth of the body as each part is functioning properly in its relationship with one another. So some stuff to think about there. The next thing is that a deacon is a good manager of his children and his own household in verse 12. He provides direct and ongoing oversight of the children and the household affairs. To manage means to have charge over or to stand before. And you don't do this from a distance. It's something that you're doing in the middle of. It's not something you do remotely. It's close enough. It's being close enough to have intimate familiarity with what's going on. This is a very present tense verb. This is describing an ongoing action that's taking place here. Something that you do continually. It's not something you check in once a month and do in order to check the box. It's something that's part of who you are. It's part of what you do as you manage your home. You manage your children. Because if you think about discipline one and discipline two and discipline three, if a man is not working well in discipline two, if he's not functioning well in his home and managing his home, how is he supposed to function well in discipline three in a broader context? We want to be faithful in the smaller things so that we can become faithful in the larger things that the Lord gives to us. So let's ask a couple of questions here. How connected am I to the guidance and the correction of my children? If you're here today and you've got younger kids in your home, just think about this, evaluate this. When there is a need to correct and train and teach my kids, 
Who's doing that? Is my wife doing the majority of that, or am I doing that? When my kid needs to be disciplined, do I leave that to my wife when I'm doing something else, even if that something else is something that's inherently good? The affairs of my house, when things break or need repair, am I on that, or do I let it go? Or do I wait for my mom to, my wife to pester me for the fifth time to fix something? Single guys, you're not exempt from this. Uh, if you're renting a place, does the management of your home compromise your gospel witness? You know, if the lawn needs to be mowed or if something else needs to be taken care of, is your mindset, it's not my problem because it's not mine. I don't need to deal with this. Or is your desire to represent Christ well by the way you steward the home that he's given you to live in, whether you're the owner of it or not? Okay, now let's back up to verse 11, Deacon's wives. Let's read it again, okay? Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate and faithful in all things. First, we want to, we want to examine the word women. And there really are two options that you get when you look at this word. You can be looking at deacon's wives, or you can be looking at women in general. The first meaning is that there are not women who are deacons in the church. The second meaning is that there are women deacons in the church. And to understand what we're getting at here, we need to look at the Greek word. The Greek word is gynaikos. It's the same word that we have today for gynecology. At Grace, the elders believe that this word means wives of deacons. It does not mean women who are deacons. It's wives of deacons. We don't believe that Paul is introducing or highlighting a third office here. Elder, deacon, women deacons. That's not what's in view here. We believe what's in view here is elders, and deacons, and we're talking about the kind of man that a deacon is, and the kind of woman that he marries, the kind of woman that she becomes when she is married to him. There are six reasons for this, and I, I want to go through them. I think this is important. Let's see how much time we have here. I think this is really important. Um, what is being used here is the generic word for woman, Ganiakis. Start right in your verse when you want to understand a concept or thought. So when you start right in this verse, you notice that Paul doesn't use a specific title of leadership like deacon woman, woman who is a deacon, or something like that. He just uses the Greek word for woman. You think about our word for gynecology. When you think about that word, you think about something that relates to a woman itself. You don't think about a woman serving in a particular task or a particular role. So the word needs to be stretched a little bit less to mean the wife of a man who is a deacon rather than a woman who is serving in a particular role. The next thing you do is you back away a little bit and you look at the placement of the qualifications here in the immediate context. Before verse 11, you have verses 8 through 10, three verses that describe the man. And after verse 11, you have verse 12 that also describes the man. We've walked through all of that. 
This verse sits right in the middle of that. So if Paul were discussing a separate role, he would discuss that in a separate location. But he didn't. He placed it right within the discussion of the man because this has everything to do with the kind of man that he is. He's the kind of man who leads his wife to be this kind of woman. Thirdly, let's back away a little farther and you look at the rest of Scripture. Scripture contains no other reference to women deacons. The idea of women deacons didn't occur for approximately 200 more years. Fourthly, the majority of the translation interpret the word to mean women. The NAS is one of the few um, translations that doesn't exactly use the word. Um, The King James, the NIV, the ESV, the Holman Bible, they all translate it a little differently than the NAS. The NAS uses the literal word. They chose not to be interpretive here. And fifthly, this is consistent with Paul's earlier teaching. If you can look back in chapter 2, verse 12, this is just 15 verses earlier. Paul says, I don't allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Paul is speaking specifically about church order. And we know that in a deacon role, a deacon has authority, he has autonomy over an area of service. Paul just got done 15 verses earlier saying, women don't teach or exercise authority over men. So Paul would be contradicting himself if he was introducing a new office for women where they were in leadership over men. And the last reason is a very practical reason. Think back to chapter 6 of Acts. And again, we're using the rest of Scripture here. Remember, we had a situation where the women were getting overlooked in the serving of food. If there was ever a place to put women, deacons, in leadership, it would be a situation like that. We'll put women on this task to serve food to women. But they didn't do that. They chose men to serve in that role. And that's because this is a role that God has ordained for men, not a role that God has ordained for women. So Paul has four characteristics for women and the kind of women that they need to be. But all of this we need to understand is within the context of the man who is the deacon. The kind of influence he has over her to grow her into this kind of being this kind of woman. She's to be dignified, and it's the same qualification as the man in verse 8. She has a serious demeanor in the household that God has placed her in. So that when she talks about the life that she has, whether it's raising her kids, whether it's doing laundry, whether it's changing children, she talks about it with a sober bearing. It doesn't mean she's rigid and, rigid and stiff. It just means that she has a sober bearing of the path that God has for her, and the works that he has prepared for her to walk in, and that she's walking in those faithfully. And just like with men, this is something observable. It's something you can see right away. She's not a malicious gossip. Slanderous accusations are not thrown at others. Slanderous accusations. She's not one who accuses. She's not one who accuses with anything that's not true. Think about why this is really important. Um, Her husband is the deacon and he's serving in a deacon role. And when she's assisting her husband, this deacon wife will circulate widely within the church. She'll move around within the church. She'll come into contact with a lot of people, especially if her husband has the kind of deacon role where he comes into contact with a lot of people. If she's there with him, she'll be circulating among those people. So she needs a good control over her tongue. 
in all circumstances. She's going to see a lot of things that her husband will see. She's going to become privy to information that her husband will become privy to. She needs a very good control over her tongue. This is spoken of for women. The characteristic and qualification for a man is that he be the husband of one wife because a man might be more inclined to look outside of his marriage than his wife. But this particular character quality might be one that a woman might have more struggle with that is speaking of others. So Paul speaks directly to it. And he says, um, if you're married and you aspire to deacon leadership, consider whether you have a need to shepherd your wife in this area. Be listening to your wife when she talks. Be discerning about when she's speaking accurately and she's speaking biblically. And when she's starting to cross over that line into making assertions and accusations that don't have a foundation in fact, don't have a foundation in love and in grace. A deacon's wife is also a wife who is temperate. Avoiding whatever might cloud and prevent clear-headed thinking. Avoiding what might cloud and prevent clear-headed thinking. It's the same word as being sober-minded for the elders in chapter 3, verse 2. You're free from clouded thinking that's brought on by any external influence. Someone who's temperate is someone who is not moved from the center of their relationship with the Lord by an external influence. So you need to be asking your wife, what are the influences in your life? Are you regulating? Are you talking well with your wife about the influences that she exposes herself to, particularly in the media world? You don't have to go very far before the information is right in front of your face and it has an influencing effect on you. So husbands, are you aware of how your wife is using her time? Are you asking her how she uses her time? Do you know how much time she spends on Facebook? How much time she spends online? Do you talk and do you pray about those things together? Those are good conversations to have. But do it in a way that's gentle. Do it in a way that's servant reading. I want to help you. I want to ask. I want to understand what is happening here. Don't go to her with a hammer. Go to her with kindness and with grace and saying, I need to understand, as your leader, what this looks like in our home. And lastly, the deacon's wife is one who is faithful in all things. She is trustworthy, trustworthy in matters that are entrusted to her, whether those things are great or small. That means that her word carries weight. She has a reputation for keeping her word. When she says something, it's going to happen. Reliability and honesty are at a premium when you are attempting to advance the gospel mission. And so the deacon whose wife is faithful to her word, is true to her word, is an asset to the deacon who is seeking to advance the gospel mission. So those are good areas for you to examine in your own home if you're married. Um, Those things need to be true about your wife if you're pursuing deacon leadership and a deacon role in the church. And it's a journey. It's a stepwise process. It's a process you don't get there tomorrow. You will never get there. But taking small steps in the right direction is what you want to be doing.
consistently taking small steps in the right direction. Lastly, verse 13, Paul has some very encouraging things to say for the the blessed results of faithfulness. Let's read verse 13 again. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. The high standing here is a platform. It's a base. It's a foundation that's, that's above. Because he has served well, the deacon appears to others as one who can stand with integrity before God. The body who looks at a deacon who's serving well, they, they have the confidence of knowing that that man stands before God with integrity. The deacon who's serving in our church is a man who serves with integrity. He also has great confidence. He has a boldness and an assurance of his salvation in Christ. I'll close with a quote from John MacArthur. He says, Those who serve God well and see his power and grace operating in their lives will be emboldened for even greater service. I want to close with just observation of two separate deacons that were serving in the early church. Both of them were appointed in Acts chapter 6. I want to talk about Stephen a little bit and talk about Philip. Both of these were men who understood the gospel. They understood the word very, very well. If you read Acts chapter 7, you can see how Stephen understood the gospel and he spoke in a way that could not be contradicted by the Jews who martyred him. He had a good enough grasp on the gospel. He had a confidence in the gospel that he could speak to them in a way that they could not refute. So a deacon isn't just a man who serves. A deacon is a man who has a strong grip on the gospel. And then there's Philip. When you go up to Acts chapter 8, you see Philip in action with the Ethiopian eunuch. The Ethiopian eunuch is reading. Philip comes up to him. Philip has the gospel ready to go. He, he has a good enough command on the gospel that he can explain clearly what the Ethiopian eunuch is reading when he's reading from the Old Testament. Philip knew the word. And so keep in mind in all of this that the purpose here for the deacon who's functioning well is that he's functioning well to advance the mission of the gospel, the gospel of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ.